You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, good evening, everybody. It's great to see you out. It was even better to hear you sing behind me. That was awesome. That was awesome. It's great to have the Reverend over from Paoli tonight, Mr. Jones, Graham, and uh, your wife someplace, right? With Junior. Yep. Yeah. You guys doing good over there? Good. 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 I hope the rest of you are doing well tonight. As you came in tonight, you received a program. And if you will take just a moment to let us know of your presence, let us know of the things that you've witnessed God doing this week. I love that song because I've witnessed him do those things. And many of you in this room have as well. And so just shout those out on that welcome home card and let us know about those things so we can celebrate those with you. How many of you are keeping up with your reading right now through God's Word? That's really good. How many of you have fallen behind a little bit? All right, that's okay. Listen, here's the deal tonight. Here's the deal tonight. You get a pass. You don't have to catch up. Isn't it great when the teacher says you don't have to go back and complete assignment? So don't worry about catching up, but start Monday morning fresh, right? If you don't have one of these guides, pick one up out in the nook in the lobby and take this home with you and pick up right where we're at and uh, keep going, keep going. Because usually about March, we give up the diet, we give up all the other New Year's resolutions, right? And we kind of go back to the way things were before. We're not going to do that this year. Right. Right. Thank you. At least me and Dan aren't. Right? We're going to keep going. Well, maybe not the diet thing, right? But we'll keep going with the reading. Keep going with the reading. Hey, grab your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. If this is your first weekend with us, welcome. We're going through the Bible from cover to cover this year. And we are in the second book of the Bible, the book called Exodus, which speaks of the exodus of God's people from Egypt, where they were enslaved, to the promised land. And what this does is it parallels our life today. As we leave slavery to sin, slavery to the way we used to live, and we walk in newness, we walk towards this new life, this life that will spend eternal with Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice for us. You know, there are several popular sayings, and some of those things are actually actually true. Like, looks can be deceiving. Anybody, anybody ever looked at someone or something and just thought it was going to be the greatest thing only to be deceived, things are not always as they seem to be. My favorite, and the one that we're going to look at tonight, is a picture is worth a thousand words. Ever had somebody sharing with you their thousand words, and you say, hey, just just paint me a picture, right? Just draw me a picture out. You don't have to give me all thousand. Well, this weekend, we're going to look at three pictures that speak thousands of words, They paint for us the perfect view of God's wrath, of God's presence, and of our repentance. Three things, at least two of three things, that that maybe aren't the most popular topics, right? God's wrath and our repentance, but three things that will change our lives and three things that change the life 
of God's people, the Israelites. So let's stand together with our Bibles. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 12. If you got your Bible out there, let's look together at this. Verse 12, Exodus chapter 33, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, Lord, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, Moses. You found favor with me. Well, if you're pleased with me, Lord, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation, this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my patience will go with you. I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, please don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Let's pray. Father, this journey that we're on through your word is nothing short of a call to repentance, to turn to you. It's nothing short of a call to transformation. As Father, you take our old life and you even take those things that, that were so opposite of you and your plan for us, and, and you can take all of that and transform it into into something amazing. It's nothing short of a call to obedience. Father, as we understand that your way is the best way and gratitude, Lord. Gratitude as your people. We have witnessed, just as the Israelites have witnessed you in miraculous ways, we see you move today. God, we are your people and you are our God. So continue to send us, lead us, and may we show the world your glory. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Last week, David, if you were here with us, David, our family and uh, teen pastor, David took us through Exodus chapter 20 where we saw God call Moses to the top of a mountain. Remember? He said, I want you to come up here with me. Aaron could come a little ways with you, but then he's going to stay here. But you and I, were going to be at the very top. And on that mountain, Noah stood face to face. Noah. <laughs> Moses stood. <laughs> Noah too. Moses stood face to face. Moses stood face to face with God. And you remember he was given the Ten Commandments. Not only was he given the Ten Commandments, which God inscribed on two stone tablets with his very finger, the Bible says. Not only was he given that, but he was given details. And how many of you read the details, right? The details of the tabernacle that Moses was to build. And what was the purpose of the tabernacle? It was so that God could do what he's wanted to do from the very beginning. Back when he was with Adam and Eve in the garden, he had desired for his presence to dwell with his people again. And so the tabernacle allowed for this. But God went to great detail. In fact, Moses was there for so long, it was 40 days that Moses spent on the top of that mountain 
writing as fast as he could, listening to God and all of the detail as God laid out this word picture of what the tabernacle would look like and what these commands, remember what the commands were for? They were intended to strengthen our relationship with God, our vertical relationship. And then the last six of the 10 were there to, to guarantee a healthy relationship uh, horizontally with those around us. And as the people watched from the foot of the mountain, they, they could feel the earth shake. They could see smoke envelop the top of the mountain. It was very clear that Moses was meeting, was meeting with the maker. In chapter 32, just as Moses is finishing up this 40-day encounter, God hands him these two stone tablets that God himself had inscribed all these commands on. And Moses turns and he's about to go down the mountain and in verse seven, God says, hey Moses, as you head back down to the people, you're gonna find a mess. And in fact, Moses, things down there are not, they're not good at all. The people, the people gave up on you coming back a long time ago. And, and, and he says, notice he says, your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Now, when God turns it, God has always said all along, beginning in the first command, I am the Lord, your God, who led you out of Egypt. Now he's saying, Moses, these are your people. Your people that you led. God doesn't even want to take credit for knowing these people. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. If I were God, I would just be furious, right? A calf? It's kind of like a donkey, right? I mean, who wants to have their image put into something like this? You know, it's not lost on Moses and it's not lost on me that God at this point was torqued. He said to Moses, they have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and get what they said, Moses. These are your gods, as they held out this calf, these are your gods, O Israel, who led you out, out of Egypt. You know, it was God who brought the plagues, remember the plagues? It was God who parted the Red Sea just long enough for a million plus people to get through on dry ground. And what did God do? He brought that sea right over top of not one, but all of the enemies that were pursuing Israel. Was it not God? Was it not God who provided for them daytime and nighttime? And now they attribute their freedom to a calf? And not only that, but one they had made for themselves. Verse 9. God said, I have seen these people, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave, them, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Well, I don't think I could have gotten down the mountain fast enough. 
And so Moses goes, and what happens next seems as though Moses is changing God's mind, but, but I want to suggest this perspective for you as we read this next paragraph, and that is what Moses does with God is the same way that you and I should approach God in our times of prayer. We should approach God with the truth of his word, the truth of who he is. Verse 11, listen to this prayer. Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt? Notice the first thing that Moses does is he points back to the truth that he knows, he remembers who led them out, that it was God. Why should your anger burn against your people? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that God brought them out only to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth. And God's thinking, that sounds pretty good to me. But Moses is saying, God, I know that this nation you've built and asked me to lead, it's to glorify you. I mean, we've spent the last 40 days, God, talking about all the ways that we're to glorify you and that we're to honor you, that we're to point the world to you through these commands that you've given, through the sacrifices that, that we'll make. Turn from your fierce anger, Lord. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. In verse 14, God says, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now, this conversation that went on on the top of this mountain as Moses is about to head down to the people, this is a first picture that God paints for us today. And the picture is of this. God will not tolerate disobedience. God will not tolerate disobedience. He wouldn't tolerate it then and he won't tolerate it today. He will not tolerate disobedience of his instructions and his commands. While Moses is up on the top of this mountain, the people down below were doing the complete opposite of the things that God had outlined as the commands, the requirements for relationship with him. And so God had every reason and he was perfectly just in not tolerating it. It doesn't get any sillier than what they were doing down there. Or does it? Have we not done the same thing at times? It may not be a golden calf, but other works of our hands. What are the things that we have cast into idols? Even as we sit in this place tonight and we worship him, and we say we love him and glorify him, I thought about our phones and how they have just become idols. Anybody manage their screen time? Just, you know, some, some people won't set that on their phone because they know what it's going to say and they just don't want to come to grips with it. I'm embarrassed that my screen time is as much as it is. Averaging two hours and 15 minutes a day? I can't imagine what it's like when you look at reels all day or, or on Facebook. What about the material things in our life? You say, oh, these are all blessings of God. You bet they are. But the moment that you're having to work 40, 50, 60 hours a day to the neglect of your family, 
that you can't ask the boss for a Wednesday night off or Saturday off to go worship the Lord, well, then they've become an idol. What about entertainment? What about comfort? What about influence? What about our appearance? There was a lady that uh, used to go to church. She's passed now, but she sat right, right over there with some of our other fine ladies, and uh, she, she was such a great supporter of our young people. But one day she fell and she chipped a tooth. And I hadn't seen her at church for two or three weeks, so I checked on her, and I said, I, I haven't seen you at church, Barb. And she said, oh, I, I chipped this tooth. I can't be seen in public. An idol. Okay, so Moses heads on down the mountain. He sees the entire camp around this golden calf worshiping. Verse 19, Moses' anger burned, and he threw the two stone tablets out of his hand. Some of you remember this. Threw the tablets down, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain, and we think, oh... He took the calf they had made. This is my favorite part. He took the calf they had made. He burned it in the fire. Then he ground it up, put it in the water, and then made them drink it. If you're going to pick an idol, make sure you pick something like chocolate or something that would be good ground up. <laughs> Moses then stood at the end of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come with me. And it says, all the Levites came to him. And then what did he say to do? He said, strap a sword to your side, and I want you to go through this town from one end to the other, and I want you to slay your brothers, your sisters, your parents, and your grandchildren, anyone who is not for the Lord. And that day, over 3,000 people died because of their disobedience. And for the ones that were left, verse 35 says, the Lord struck the rest of the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf. And you say, I'm sure glad that we don't worship the Lord of the Old Testament. Well, guess what, friends? He's the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New. But what you're seeing here is a picture of God's wrath. This is what God's wrath looks like towards sin without Jesus to take the wrath for them. This is what you and I would be facing today for the idols in our life and the foolish choices that we make were it not for Jesus Christ who stands between us and God's wrath. That's why we're seeing this. God has put his wrath on full display for us. Remember, the wages of sin is death. And you know, the reason why God doesn't destroy us today in this land, even those who don't follow him, do you know why? I think it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ. They at least get to wait until the day that Jesus returns when every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess. And listen, those who have rejected God, they will feel his wrath. They will feel his wrath. But those of you who placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you do not have to fear his wrath because he stands between you and God. Well, after this picture of God's wrath, after all this death, God speaks again to Moses and he says, I want you to leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. I want you to go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out the occupants of the land and those who would stand in the way. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the big part. 
I want you to underline it, but I will not go with you. <laughs> I will not go with you because you are a stick, stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Some of us have said something similar to our children. You don't want me to come in there, right? Because if I come in there, you're going to experience something that won't go well for you. But seriously, have you ever, have you ever pictured life without God? I mean, really without God. You know, some of us who came to the Lord, some of you who came a little late to the Lord in life, and you think about all the things that you experienced or that you should have experienced in your life were it not for the grace of God watching over you. But what if God's presence was not there at all? Have you ever imagined what life would be like? God had gone to all the trouble of creating a way for his people to finally be with him, to have relationship with him, it's what the commands were all about. It's what the tabernacle was for. He was the one who provided them food and shelter. It was his first step toward his ultimate goal of, of sending Jesus when he provided a way for them to atone for their sins through sacrifice. God had done all of this. But yet because of the obstinance of the people, he says, I'm going to give you and your descendants the land I promised but you're going to have to live there without me. <laughs> Life in the promised land without God. You know, that's what many, that's what many desire today. That's what many people think they want today. Look at our nation today. Look at our nation. A nation that was founded under God. A nation that was born under his authority, his laws, his commands, his protection, his blessing. Yet as a nation, what message have we sent to him? God, we don't want your presence with us. We don't want you in our schools. And now what do we have in our schools? We have violence. We have perverted teachers pushing their own immoral agenda against the will of Christian parents. We pushed them out of our government and elected men and women who claim a faith in God yet vote on record that they are for abortion. They, they brag about it. They send aid to corrupt countries. They prosecute parents who stand at school board meetings against these things. And we pushed him. We pushed him out of our homes. We said, God, we want to live in the blessing of having children. We want to live in the blessing of great prosperity, but we want to do it without you. And we wonder why the family's so broken. We wonder why our kids use drugs or why they get pregnant before they get married or why there's so much suicide or depression and mental illness among our children. We want God to give us whatever we think will make us happy, but then we want to be done with him and experience it all without him. Thankfully, in this situation, Moses knew better. And so he speaks up for the nation of Israel and he speaks for himself. And listen, it should never be good enough for us. We should mourn. And this is the second picture that is painted for us here with Israel. We should mourn the absence of God's presence and we should pray for his presence to return. 
And I don't mean come Lord Jesus come as in the second coming and rescue us from all this filth. But I mean, God, we want you to return to our schools. I don't care what the minority says. We as believers, we want you, God, in our schools. Our children will follow and they will set the lead in obeying your commands in our schools. Lord, please return to our schools. Anybody prayed that this week? God, please return to our government. Oh, there's supposed to be separation between government and state. No, there isn't. That's not what that's about. The government's supposed to stay out of the church, not the church stay out of the government. The government was founded on God and his commands. God, please return to our government. You know, we need to quit paying, praying for these politicians to die, and we need to start praying for young people to rise up that have some integrity and some morals. God, please return life in the promised land without God. We should mourn the absence of God's presence. We should pray for his return. And that's what verse 4 says. Israel mourned the news that God would not go with them. And in verse 6, it says they repented by taking off their ornaments. I thought about Christmas tree ornaments. But do you know what their ornaments were? It gives you a clue when they created the golden calf. They took off their ornaments then. They took off their earrings. And I thought about this, guys. You guys have got these nose rings and these earrings. You weren't the first. These people wore them. Do you know that? Guys, girls, men, women, and children, they all had these piercings. They all had these earrings and things. These ornaments that they wore. And it says that they took off their ornaments, they repented. The very things that they had used to make an idol out of. And that's the third picture that's painted for us here that speaks more than words can. And that is when we sin, God calls us to repentance. He calls us to repentance. In the most simple of terms, when we choose to sin, when we've turned our back on God, we're saying with our actions, God, I'm not concerned with what you say or require of me. I am my own. But remember, just because we reject God doesn't mean that we're free to do what we want. Now, there's a statement for you. Just because you reject God does not make you free to do what you want. Why? Because when you sin, you are what? You are a slave to that sin. You are more of a slave to sin. Take off your ornaments. Repent. Repentance is turning our life toward God again. It's not just getting baptized. It's not just saying I'm sorry. But repentance is a complete turn. You're going this way and you turn this way towards him. You once used your ornaments and adornments, your idols for yourself and other things, and now you come and you lay them at his feet. And you say, God, I'm done with these. I'm here with you. You can do whatever you want to with these ornaments. And God will use them. What ornaments would God have you removed today from your person as an act of obedience? 
What are your ornaments? I know what mine are. For the rich young ruler, remember what his ornament was? It was his wealth. And he was unwilling to take his ornaments off and lay them before Jesus that day. And he went ahead with his head hung low because he couldn't. He couldn't let go. What is it that you've let get in the way of being a follower, the follower of God that God's called you to be? Is it an addiction that you need to lay down? Is it forgiveness that you need to grant someone else? Is it an idol of some kind that receives your first attention, your resources, your time, and you, you say, I'm not casting anything into a calf. Oh, there's a lot more golden calves out there than you realize. Your phone, your image, your material things. Is it your pride? Is it your fear of embarrassment? See, God calls you to take it all off and to lay it at his feet, will you? You know, preachers dream of people responding to God's word, right? There's nothing more exciting than to see someone respond, come and say, hey, I'm done with this. I'm repenting of this. I'm turning towards God. I mean, nothing thrills the heart of a preacher more. And in my dreams this afternoon as I took a little nap, I dreamt that people were pulling out their phones right now. And, and I'm serious about this. That people were pulling out their phones right now and they were going to that screen time setting where that they would set that setting to, to remind them that they don't want this to be an idol. Just like we do for some of our kids, we say, okay, you can have an hour a day on the phone, but at the end of that, you gotta put in this password in order to get more. How about doing that to yourself? You see, the other option is I was going to have you bring them up here and I was going to take a hammer and I was going to bust that $1,200 phone. But I've only got enough money to buy about three of those things. And I thought I better knew that. But in my mind, I dreamt that you guys would respond this way. But we're not willing. We're not willing to take our ornaments off. Verse 12 Moses goes to the Lord and he prays. He says, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now that's, he's already said, hey, you can take your brother with you, Aaron, okay? So that's not what he's talking about. You've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said to me, Lord, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. And so if you're pleased with me, God, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Do you hear what Moses is saying? He's saying, God, teach me, show me, teach me your ways so that I can know you and I can be more like you. You see, that's what this Bible reading plan is all about. It's not about us saying, yay me, I read through the Bible this year. It's about knowing the God that we worship and that we love. Can you say that today? God, teach me your ways. That's why it's on the screen. Say it if you believe it. Say it with me now. Teach me your ways so that I can know you and be more like you, God. I want to know you and align my life with your commands. This is what repentance is. 
This is what it means to turn to him. Moses continues. He says, God, remember that this nation is your people. What's he saying? God, we are your people and you are our God. Is that how you identify yourself? Is it? Will you say it with me to him then? We are your people. You are our God. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. You hear what he's saying? Your presence means so much to me, God, and so much to us. Things in life mean nothing without you. Music to God's ears. Say it with me. No matter how good things are, God, they mean nothing without you. And then Moses says, it's the strangest thing. Now show me your glory. You talk about phrases that speak a thousand words. There's that phrase that says, and there he was standing in all of his glory. Now, that's not the glory that God's showing here. Or is it? In chapter 34, Moses meets again with God on Mount Sinai. He takes two replacement stones up to the top with him. God says, bring them on up. My finger's pretty tired, right? But I'll write them out again for you. And in verse five, it says that God descends and comes right next to Moses. Can you imagine God of the universe standing right next to you? He stands right next to Moses and God declares his name, the Lord, the Lord. And then he declares the forgiveness that he grants when we've twisted his word or when we've revolted against his word. And he does this because the Lord is loving and forgiving and compassionate. And then he says, but because of his righteousness and the reality that he's just, that he will punish sin, he will show his wrath towards unforgiven sin. And this is the part that every adult needs to take to heart. He says, I'll punish the sins of the generations. Do you realize that unrepentant sin in your life is transferred to the next generation and the next generation after that? You doubt me? Let me give you a couple of examples. If Sarah and I, we didn't, but if Sarah and I had had Olivia before we got married, there is almost a 100% chance that when Olivia becomes of age, that she will have a child outside of marriage. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You have problem with drugs or with other areas of self-control in your life like pornography? If you don't surrender that, and when you surrender it, if you don't repent and totally change your habits and behaviors, you know what's gonna happen? Your son, your daughter's gonna have an issue with pornography. And it goes on down the line, and God says, I will, I will punish 
the sins of generations. Yet because he's righteous and just, he won't let unrepented sin go unpunished. And Moses' response to God's glory, look at what it says. It says that he bowed down and he worshiped him. Moses laid down his own idols. Did Moses have idols? He did. He had fear. He had self-doubt. He had frustration. He had anger. He had this demand that someone go with him. John chapter 1 verse 14 describes how God has revealed his glory to us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made God known. God has shown us his glory just as he did to Moses. God has given us, through Jesus Christ, the precepts that we are to live by and the grace with which we can live free of the penalty of sin, free from future judgment. And he's offered us his presence. Do you know who would go with Moses? God would go with Moses. And God goes with us. In fact, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And so what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Are we going to learn his ways? Or are we going to ignore his ways? Are we going to repent of our sins? Or are we going to wallow in them? Are we going to go it alone? Or are we going to go with his presence? As the band comes, I want to give you the opportunity to respond tonight. I, I'm not going to ask you to bring your cell phone up here. But I strongly, I strongly encourage you to be honest with yourself about the things that are idols in your life. If you've got a piece of paper right now, students, I know you use your journals. The rest of you can borrow one of those offering envelopes on the seat back in front of you. You can use your outline. But I want you to just write ornaments at the top. And I want you to list those ornaments in your life that you need to take off before God, whether that's an addiction, whether that's something in your past that has kept you from him, Maybe for you, maybe for you, it's, it's something that seems so good in this life, but yet you've placed it way up here and God's the only one that belongs up here. Everything else belongs underneath him. And so you need to come and you need to lay that at his feet. Not my feet, but at the foot of the cross. And I want you to leave it there. You can leave that piece of paper there if you can't control yourself with your phone, leave your phone there. Put your name on it and I'll get you, I promise you this, you leave your phone there, I'll get you a flip phone. 
that doesn't have data access. But you can send texts, you can call people, which is what a phone was created for. I'll get you one of those and I'll bring it to you. You trade your ornament, but you trade it for freedom. You trade it and you escape God's wrath. You trade it for more of Him in your life. Perhaps the ornament that you need to lay down tonight is you. I mean, I mean like all of you. You've been doing life without Him. You're the one who sits on the throne of your life when it's Jesus Christ that needs to sit on the throne, the heart of your life. Come, and we'll help you take that next step. I'll meet you over here. Let's stand.